Cornerstone, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, uh, we're in a series that really is a conversation through the book of Revelation that we've called Spoiler Alert. The reason we called it Spoiler Alert is because God already told us how it turns out in the end, which means this, no matter how dark it gets, no, no matter how much it appears that evil is winning and that light is receding, no matter how many mistakes our leaders make, Scripture tells us that you and I don't have to be freaked out, we don't have to be alarmed, because we win in the end. How, how many of you saw the Chiefs-Bills game last week? Okay, some of us. <clears throat> They're already saying it may be the greatest football game of all time. And it was. It was absolutely incredible. But let me let me have you imagined this? I want you to imagine that you haven't watched the game yet. Uh, you've, you've actually DVR'd it, but somebody comes up to you and says, hey, just so you know, the Chiefs win. Uh, you're a little disappointed that you know that because you wanted to watch the game, but you go home and you start watching the game and it's incredible. And it was, it was two heavyweights just absolutely slugging it out. And the score went back and forth and they would push each other down the field and back through over the field. And it was an incredible game to watch. But you're okay because you know the Chiefs are gonna win until the fourth quarter, until time is almost out. And you watch the Bills march down the field and score the go-ahead touchdown. 13 seconds left in the game. And you think to yourself in that moment, wait, wait, wait. I thought my friend told me that the Chiefs were gonna win. 13 seconds, it's done. And then Patrick Mahomes comes walking out on the field. Might just be a Jesus figure. I could, could show up somewhere in a sermon in the future. 13 seconds left in the game. Patrick Mahomes throws two laser-type passes covers almost 70 yards on the field. Chiefs kick a tying uh, field goal, send the game into overtime, and then subsequently receive the ball, march down the field, score the winning touchdown. Chiefs win the game. And at that point you're going, yes, Chiefs win the game. Unless of course you were a Bills fan, but that's, we can talk about you rooting for the wrong team later. But anyways. You realize that's exactly what God did with the book of Revelation. He already told you the final score. Spoiler alert. And no matter how bad life gets, no matter how much you begin to go, man, our culture and our society is just heading in absolutely the wrong direction. You and I as Christ followers don't have to get freaked out. We don't have to get panicked out because God has already told you and I that in the end, all of us who have named the name of Jesus, who have taken our lives and given all of us, we win the game. Spoiler alert. So today uh, we're gonna jump back into uh, the book of Revelation and here's what you need to hear. If the book of Revelation scares you, it's because you're reading it wrong. 
Let me just say that again. This is so important. If the book of Revelation scares you, freaks you out, it's because you're reading it wrong. And, and I know you're going, well, wait a minute. There's some scary stuff in there. There's asteroids falling from the heavens. There's locusts coming up out of the pit. The Antichrist is going crazy. I mean, it, there's a lot of wild, crazy stuff in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. What you need to know is that the book of Revelation is actually a love story. And I know you're going, well, how is that possible? How is all of that a love story? And here's what you need to know. It's the story of a father doing anything he can possibly do to rescue his children. All right, let me set us up. We'll get there and we'll unpack that together. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, let me catch you up to uh, where we're at right now. Uh, what we learned together is that for a long time, God worked primarily through the nation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, it is probably a, is mostly a conversation about God using Israel to reach the world. What was supposed to happen was this, that people seeing God bless Israel, God seeing Israel follow God and that their lives turned out differently was intended to cause a curiosity that the other nations of the world would say, wait a minute, our gods are apparently not, apparently not as strong as the gods of Israel because look how much better Israel's doing than us. Hey, wait a minute, uh, our gods maybe aren't as good as the gods of Israel because look at the struggles we've got going through and that God's relationship with Israel was intended to cause the nations of the world to come and say, tell us about this incredible God. Here's the problem. Israel wasn't faithful to God. And because Israel wasn't faithful, then God wasn't able to bless them. And so the world, looking at the nation of Israel, said, hey, you're not much better off than us. God changed gears. He changed gears at a moment when he sent his son to die on the cross. And from that moment forward, God began to work through the church. You and I are the church. Christians are the church. And here's the intent. Here's the reason for the church to exist. That the world looking at us would see our marriages and say, wow, there, there's something about their marriages. They would see our children and say, man, their children totally different than our children. They would watch you and I go through hard times and say, I can't believe they went through that and did that well. And that the world seeing us, the church, would say, I don't know what I think about the Bible. I'm still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. But here's what I know. Those Jesus followers have something I don't have. And that the world would be attracted to come and learn about our God because the world would see us. That's the mission of the church. And here's what you need to know, though, is that this isn't going to go on forever. And what we've talked about together is that there's coming a moment when the church is going to be caught up out of this world. That in a moment, in an instant, we don't know when, it can happen any time, that literally every person living who believes in Jesus Christ is going to be instantaneously caught up out of this world and then we'll spend the next seven years in heaven. That moment is called the rapture. The moment the church is taken out. 
And when that occurs, the very next thing is the tribulation. Hence, the book of Revelation. The vast, vast majority of the book of Revelation deals with the tribulation. What you need to know, all those things that happen in the tribulation, all that part that seems so scary and seems like God is so angry and so upset during the tribulation, if that's what you're reading, you're reading it wrong because the book of Revelation is actually a father trying to rescue his children. Let me see if I can help. How many of you have had the privilege of raising a teenager? I say privilege with quotes in. All right, okay. Those of you that could not raise your hand just now, there will come an amazing, wonderful moment that you will never forget for the rest of your life when you have the opportunity to raise a teenager. And if you've had that opportunity, chances are you went through this. You go through that season in which that teenager decides, I need to distance myself from my parents. I need to find my own unique place in this world. And more often than not, it shows up in rebellion. So I want you to imagine that your teenager has begun to stake their own claim. And it begins with being disrespectful toward mom. So you decide, look, look I'm, I'm not gonna go crazy. I'm not gonna weird out. I'm, I'm gonna have the talk. So you sit down with your teenager and you go, look, look, here's the deal. I know, I know you're coming into your own. I know you're turning into a mini adult right now, but here's the deal. This cannot show up with you disrespecting your mother. Uh, it, it violates everything that our family is about. It's absolutely rebellious for you to do that. And more than that, you're breaking your mother's heart. So you've got to find another way to carve your niche in this world. Next thing you know, your teenager is hanging out with all the wrong friends. So you go back to have the talk. You go, look, look, look. I know you think they like you and I know you think that that's your group. I'm just telling you, that group of, that group of friends is gonna take you the wrong direction. There is nothing but regret. There's nothing but pain if you continue to hang with that particular group of friends. So I'm just encouraging you, because I love you, to start rethinking and maybe move away from and start finding a better group to be hanging out with. You have the talk. Uh, next thing you know, uh, your teenager is doing everything you hoped they would never do. Uh, they're skipping school, they're underage drinking, they're experimenting uh, with drugs and with sex. And, you go back and you go, look, look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you because I love you. I'm not telling you because I'm trying to ruin your life. I'm not telling you because I'm trying to rob your joy. I'm telling you this, that where you're headed, what you're doing, it doesn't bring the joy you want. It doesn't bring the satisfaction. You will find nothing but disappointment and regret if you keep going that way. I'm begging you to reconsider and turn. And they don't. They just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you've ever experienced it as a parent, there comes a moment when you say, look, this talking thing, it ain't working. Uh, they're not listening. And the next step is to say, okay, so I need to make it really, really difficult for them to live in rebellion. I'm, I'm gonna start expressing tough love toward them. Not because I wanna get even and not because I wanna, but because I'm gonna do anything I can in love as a parent to keep them from continuing down this path. So you say, okay, I guess you don't have Xbox anymore. Okay, I, 
You don't have a cell phone anymore. Okay, I, I guess your curfew that used to be 11, now it's nine. You're doing that because you're trying to make the pain of disobedience greater than the joy of disobedience. It's what a parent does when they love their child. I will do anything I have to do to help them get off this path. Because here's the deal. A couple of years from now, they're taking off on my, if they're still living this way, they, they could make catastrophic mistakes. You just read the book of Revelation. That's exactly what God is doing in this moment. He's going to a world that doesn't have much longer. And he's saying, look, I've talked to you, I've talked to you, I've talked to you. Talking hasn't worked. I, I put my church out there for you to see and for you to come and you didn't listen. So I'm gonna do anything I can do. I'm gonna stand between you and hell and do anything I can to turn you away because I love you. And the answer is, you ready? The book of Revelation is a love story. It's a parent trying to do anything they can do to rescue their children before it's too late. Watch this in scripture. Here's what scripture says. Or do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's what you need to know, that almost always, God's first foot forward in our life is to be patient, to be kind, to say, look, 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 I'm not gonna necessarily beat you up over that. I'm not coming with wrath. I'm gonna give you some margin. I'm gonna give you some time to consider what you're doing and to realize that it's a bad decision, it's a mistake, and to turn around, to say, look, I'm not gonna do that. So it's that moment when the girlfriend moves in with her boyfriend, and she knows God would never want me to do that. It's the businessman who lies to close the deal, and it works. See, it's that uh, moment in which uh, you go out with your friends and you gossip about your other friend and put them way, way down because it feels really, really good when you do it. And then you get done and nothing happens. You go, oh, well, apparently God didn't notice. Or maybe God was watching the playoffs, didn't see me do it. Or maybe God's impotent and doesn't have the power to respond. You ready? You're despising the goodness and the patience of God. God saw it. God didn't miss it. He's giving you grace because most often God's first foot forward is patience and grace. He's giving you the moment to wrestle with your own conscience, to have the Holy Spirit convict you and that you would say, you know what the truth is? What I did was wrong. And by all rights, God could be spanking me right now. And in kindness, he's giving me room to turn my own heart back to him. Here's the mistake. See, somewhere we've decided that God's first foot, that foot of kindness and patience, is his only foot. And it's just not true. He's got two feet. And the second foot is the foot of discipline. And if you and I despise the first and go, look, I know it's wrong, I'm gonna do it anyways, and God doesn't seem to be able to do anything about it, don't be surprised when the second foot shows up. Here's what scripture says. 
And have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you, ready, as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not take light the Lord's discipline, the Lord's spanking in your life. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So here's the thought. Just like a five-year-old when finally they get the spanking, you and I have to decide what to do with that moment. Do I get angrier? Do I get that much more resolved in my disobedience and I go, you lousy dad, how dare you spank me? Or is it the truth, and you and I who are parents know this, that the spanking wasn't first choice, the spanking was last choice, and that the intent of the spanking wasn't to, break, to take my anger out of my child. The intent of my spanking wasn't to get even with my child. The intent of the spanking was to get their heart back. To say to them, look, 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 if you keep going that way, if you keep playing in the street, it's gonna cause you nothing but pain. And I love you too much to let you keep doing that. Come on home. Bring your heart back to me. This is the book of Revelation. And all of the trials, all the tribulations that unfold in the book of Revelation are God saying to people, hey guys, time is coming to a close. You haven't listened to the conversation. So I'm gonna now do some tough love. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it hard to sin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the pain of rebellion greater than the satisfaction of disobedience. And I'm asking you as a loving father to their children, Let's be done. Come on home. So here we go. We're going to dive uh, into the book of Revelation uh, together. The first thing that happens uh, at this point is the trumpet judgments. Uh, it's Revelation chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 6. It goes to chapter 9, verse 21. The reason it's called the trumpet judgments is because when you read the book of Revelation, uh, an angel steps up, blows a trumpet, and each time the angel blows a trumpet, another one of the disciplines, another one of the judgments occurs, hence the trumpet judgments. The first judgment is hail that hits the earth, and the Bible tells us that when this hail hits, it destroys a third of the plant life on the earth. Now think of it in context. Last week, when Landon began the tribulation with us, he talked about the four horsemen, and one of the horsemen was famine. So food is already scarce. So imagine this next step as a third of all plants are destroyed and what that feels like to be in search of food here on the earth. Uh, the next trumpet uh, blows and the Bible says that a mountain falls and it falls into the ocean and when it does, a third of the sea turns to blood. Here's my guess. As John describes this mountain that falls into the sea, my guess is it's an asteroid, right? Huge rock, huge stone, falls into the ocean, talks about a third of the ocean turning to blood. I'm guessing it's not literal blood. My guess is that it affects the ocean, turns it deep, deep shades of red. It has the appearance of blood. But what we know for sure is this, that a third of the sea life perishes uh, because of this asteroid. So now think it's ramping up, right? It's getting worse. We're taking the stakes higher. 
A third of the food on the surface, on the land, has now vanished. Now a third of the sea uh, is gone. And so now the ability, you know, fish and being able to eat uh, has just been diminished. And then it talks about a star that falls. It calls the name of the star Wormwood. And a third of the fresh water now becomes undrinkable. If I'm guessing, I'm guessing that maybe this star that John is describing may actually be a nuclear missile. Think about the plume of fire that comes out of the tail of that missile. John, looking at it, possibly thought he saw a star falling uh, to the earth. The result is that a third of the fresh water now becomes undrinkable for people on the earth. And that would happen with nuclear fallout uh, going on. And then the next trumpet is that the sun, the moon, and the stars all get diminished. And again, if we're right about this being a nuclear event, then of course the plume of the explosion that comes from that would put all sorts of debris and dust into the air. It's not unthinkable that the sun and the moon, the stars would all seem darker. But you get what's happening here. This isn't God getting even with the world. This isn't God trying to cause rage upon people and take out his frustration. This is a dad trying to get the attention of his children. And he said, okay, uh, I'm gonna take away the car keys. You're not driving the car anymore. Oh, that didn't work, okay. Well, now we're gonna add the cell phone. And you're not, oh, okay, that didn't work. Okay, your curfew just got, right? It's God taking the stakes up higher and higher and higher to say, at what point? Do you finally decide that rebelling isn't worth the pain of the discipline? At what point will you see that I'm actually a loving father trying to get you off this track? I'm gonna do anything I can do to stand between you and hell. I'm gonna get your attention so that you'll think again about Jesus. Uh, the next event is uh, that locusts uh, come and torment the people. The Bible says that they actually have stingers similar to that of a scorpion. Here's the interesting moment. Everything that's happened until now has affected everybody on the earth. You could be a believer who has decided for Jesus since the rapture, or you can be someone who's wholeheartedly uh, going into rebellion and sin. It doesn't matter. Everybody's been affected by the first four trumpets. This trumpet only affects non-believers, only affects non-Christians. And these locusts come, they sting like a scorpion, and the Bible says that the burning torment that they give lasts for five months. You would think at that moment, you start saying, hey, wait a minute, believers don't have this happening to them. People who've turned away from Jesus do. Next then it says that an army from the east uh, begins to say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take over and dominate uh, the world. We're not sure exactly who this is. It's interesting that it says their army numbers 200 million and that their mascot is a dragon. So I'll leave it to you. You can try to figure out, you can try to guess. But it says this army comes from the east. They try to take over. And in that process, a third of mankind is lost in the battle. Here's the interesting thing. Chapter nine closes, and here's what it says. And still, and still, they would not repent. Now guys, don't miss that, because it just told you what the heart of God was, what the purpose, this wasn't about being angry. This wasn't about getting even. This was about getting the attention of his children. 
and saying, when will enough be enough? When, when will you decide fighting me isn't worth fighting me? When will you finally give in and come home? Okay? After the trumpet judgments, we really get to the midpoint of the tribulation. We're about three and a half years in. It's at this moment that Antichrist actually consolidates his power. If you listened last week, Landon told you that Antichrist shows up fairly early in the tribulation, but he's not the world leader. He hasn't come to be that singular power in the world. He's ascending there. When we get to the midpoint of the tribulation, he is now the ruler of the world. He has turned the world into a singular government and he controls it all. And when that moment comes, he makes three huge life-altering decisions. Number one is he creates a false church. He creates a one-world ecumenical false church. And probably in all likelihood, the conversation goes like this. Look, a lot of pain has come in this world because of people of different religious beliefs all trying to push their own agenda, causing their own wars. And here's the irony of this. We all believe in a God. So why are we fighting with each other? Why are we disagreeing with each other? It doesn't matter that you believe one way and you happen to be a Hindu and you happen to be a Buddha because we're all going toward the same God. So let's have one religion. And basically the lie goes like this, that going to God is kind of like going up a mountain. And it doesn't really matter what path you take to God as long as you're taking a path to God. So you can take Jesus to get to God, or you can be a Buddhist and get to God, or you can be a Mormon and get to God, or you can be a Hindu and get to, because at the end of the day, when you get to the top of the mountain, we all get to the same place. We all get to God. So we're going to have this one world religion. You can still keep your differences and the, your different flavors just knowing that we're all heading the same way. This is a lie. It is not true that you can believe whatever you want to believe, take whatever path you want to take, and get to God. It is absolutely untrue. Because the reality is that the only way an individual ever makes it to God is by having their sins forgiven. And that requires that you go through a cross. And no other world leader has lived a sinless and perfect life and then gone to a cross to pay for you're in my rebellion, you're in my sin, you're in my shaking our fist. No one has done that except the person of Jesus. There are not many ways to God. There's one way to God. Matter of fact, Jesus said this to us. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I am the way. Not a way, not one of many options. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And you ready? No one. I wonder what Jesus meant when he said no one. If I'm guessing, he meant no one. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. And I'm just telling you that any teacher who tells you that you can get to God any way you want, you can be good enough to get to God, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something, it's okay. That person is lying. And they're calling Jesus a liar when they do it. Because Jesus unequivocally and without apology said, there's only one way that people get to my father. It's by coming through me and a cross that I died on 2,000 years. And Jesus knew that this conversation would happen. So a matter of fact, here's what Jesus said about people trying to get to heaven any way they wanted to. He said, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow gate. He said, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. So look, people are gonna come with all sorts of weird ideas. They're gonna come with all sorts of plans. They're gonna say, all you have to do is go to my church or obey my principles or just be a good person. Broad is the way. All sorts of other ideas people are gonna come up with. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And a whole bunch of people are gonna head that direction because it feels easier. It feels more self-satisfying. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And in reality, only a few will end up finding it. So I'm just telling you, Jesus said, no, hey, look, you have to find God, you find me. But guys, think about this for a minute. When someone tells you, hey, you can get to God, and it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you do, you're gonna end up in the same place, it'll all turn out okay. You realize, okay, and I'm just gonna be a little bit bold here. That's stupid. Tell me, think about this, tell me any other part of life where it's true that you can believe whatever you wanna believe, you can do whatever you wanna do, and it'll all turn out okay. You've got a brain tumor. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, it doesn't matter what treatment you do. You can rub oil on it, you can chew almonds. It doesn't matter, it'll all turn out okay. No matter what you do. I don't know about you, but I'm finding a new doctor. Because that's horror, that isn't true, right? You can't just do anything you wanna do and that brain tumor be okay. Think about this, you go to the store and the clerk in the store starts to give you change and they say, oh, it doesn't matter what I count out. Matter of fact, I don't like math. So whatever I do is just going to be okay. I'm calling the manager. You buy a car from a dealership. Uh, you begin to run out of gas. You call the dealership, say, what type of gas should I put in the car? They said, you know, it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, you don't even have to put gas in. You can put nail polish in there. You can put gravel in there. It doesn't matter because it's all going to change your car. Tell me one other thing in life that it doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter what you do. It'll all turn out okay in the end. And the answer is that's hogwash. There is nothing. It doesn't work with your car. It doesn't work when you give change and it doesn't work with your soul. It matters what you believe. It matters what you do. And the answer is Jesus, period. <laughs> False church. The second thing is, is a thing called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is simply this, that during the tribulation, Antichrist is gonna rebuild the temple 
the Jewish people are going to begin to offer sacrifice again, and they're going to decide, surely Antichrist is the real Messiah. See, this Jesus guy was a fake, but look at this guy. He rebuilt the temple, and he started to say, he's got to be the legitimate Messiah. But when he commits the abomination of desolation, they're going to immediately know he's a false Messiah. Here's what he does. He takes and he builds a statue of himself in the courtyard of the temple. And he begins to say, hey, look, it doesn't matter what you worship, but remember me, I'm the guy who consolidated all this, so I'll tell you what you do. Just worship my image because all ways lead to God. And in that moment, Israel's gonna know he cannot possibly be from God. Why? Ten Commandments. Remember Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make for thyself any idols. And when he puts that huge idol in the temple court, immediately Israel will go, he cannot be the Messiah. And they'll turn. And immediately Antichrist will begin a persecution. He will kill as many Jews as he possibly can. And at the same moment, he will turn on Christians and he will kill as many Christians as he possibly can. Third thing. He institutes the mark of the beast. And some of you have heard about this. The number is 666. We don't know exactly what that is or isn't. Is it a tattoo? Is it some sort of a retinal scan? It's interesting that we're talking right now. People are encouraging us to consider putting chips in our children. So if they get lost, we can, I, I don't know. I don't know what the mark is. All I know is scripture is very clear to say that Antichrist, in order to be able to control the world economy, is gonna require that everybody get a mark and that without that mark, they can't have a job, they can't buy things, they can't sell things. He will literally own the world economy and he'll institute, he'll control it through this mark. Here's the interesting thing. Getting the mark seems to be a decision of allegiance. In other words, it's not just an economical decision. It's not just like opening another credit card account. Getting the mark seems to require that you say, Antichrist is my Lord. I've chosen to give my allegiance and my heart to him and that it is a one-time non-reversible decision that if somebody chooses to get the mark, it's done. They can't change that decision going forward, which means that you're gonna have Christians and Jews during the, who are gonna absolutely refuse to make that oath of allegiance during this time. Next come the bowl judgments. It's simply called the bowl judgments because again in heaven you see an angel, he pours out a bowl and then the judgment comes. And here are the bowl judgments. Uh, there's boils. And again, this is interesting. The only people who get these oozing, pussy boils all over their body are people who've accepted the mark of the beast. Christians and people who have refused do not get the mark. Do not get the boils. Uh, the oceans, so they turn to blood. Remember a third of the oceans previous? Now the entire ocean. Uh, the fresh water turns to blood. I don't know if there's going to be salination plants or if there's going to be things to try to clean, but imagine trying to find fresh water during this moment. And then uh, the sun is going to begin to scorch the earth. So in other words, the entire earth is going to turn into Arizona. 
You heard the old uh, Baptist preacher who said, if you can't preach on hell in Arizona, they've already been there and they're not afraid, All right? So, but you understand what's happening, right? So the sun becomes too hot. We don't know if this is solar flares. We don't know if the rotation of the earth has, we don't know. All we know is, is that the temperature on the earth becomes too hot. Plant life is having a hard time, right? You're losing crops. And then almost in a reversal, huge darkness, thick darkness comes upon the face of the earth. Uh, you can't see, and this probably means that you have to have some sort of power outages too, right? Because it says the earth will absolutely be immersed in darkness and people will not be able to see. They'll be stumbling over things. Think of the loneliness uh, when you can't see people. And it says it'll be so great, the torment of the darkness that they'll begin to gnaw on their tongues. And then finally, uh, we get to a thing called the Battle of Armageddon. So there comes this moment when the governments of the world start to say, hey, Antichrist, you're not doing a very good job. You've screwed things up. So we're gonna seize back control. And so they all begin to fight for their own territory. They all culminate, they all come together in what we call the Battle of Armageddon. It takes place in the Valley of Medigo, which is actually in Israel. You can go there, you can see the Valley of Medigo, which scripture says, this will be the place of that final battle, World War III going on. And as it describes this battle, it will be so intense that as soldiers die and they begin to bleed, eventually the ground won't be able to suck up the blood anymore. And the blood will begin to pool. And scripture says, as the blood begins to pool and fill up the valley of Medigo, it will be as high as the bit of a horse's mouth. So about five feet deep all across this immense valley. Finally, the Bible says there'll be an earthquake like the world has never seen before. You get, you get the sense, right? The world just begins to go further and further and darker and deeper. And during this earthquake, it says mountains will go flat. Islands will sink into the sea and huge, huge hail will begin to hit uh, the surface of the earth. And are you ready for this? And still, they do not repent. And you're left to say, wait, 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 wait. You realize God's been doing everything he can to get your attention. Everything to say, you can't keep going the way that you're going. He's, he's made it harder and harder. He's taken away the cell phone. He's taken away the, I mean, he's doing everything he possibly can. Time is running out. And still, still you're gonna be stubborn. It would seem at some point you would look at the world and say the world is falling apart. I better turn to a higher power. And yet scripture says, and still, the vast majority refuse to repent. Guys, it was a love story. It was a father trying to get the attention of his children and just like a five-year-old who goes through discipline and decides, hey, my dad must hate me because he's spanking me. Instead of turning his heart to say, you know what? Dad's just trying to keep me from playing in the street. Dad's just trying to keep me from the consequences of my own bad behavior. To the end, they shake the fist. Here's the good news. All of us who are Christians never have to see this day, right? Because we all leave in the rapture. But here's what I also know. Some of us have loved ones who still haven't figured out Jesus. 
See, we've got sons and we've got daughters who don't know the Lord. We've got neighbors and relatives that haven't figured the Lord out yet. And if the rapture were to come, they would see these days. Which is what makes it all the more imperative that you and I are willing to push past whatever embarrassment we have, whatever rejection we might feel, and tell those that we truly care about the story of Jesus. Before. Before. Some of us in the room, and you say, Lynn, if I'm being really honest, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've ever made that decision. And you realize everything we've talked about has been about a God who doesn't want you to ever see this, to go through this. His heart has always been that you would turn and come to him. And you could do that today. It's as simple as a prayer. It's as simple as you just saying, hey, look, I get it. I get that what I've done is push God out of my life. I've lived apart from him. I'm done. I'm done. I'm so ready for something new in my life. It's as simple as a prayer. And if that has any interest for you, any intrigue for you, there's two things you could do today. One is, is that as soon as the service is over, you could come to the front. We've got counselors. They would walk you through how to pray that prayer and have Jesus in your life. Or, especially for those of you that are online, you could text. You could text the word, yes. Yes, I want an encounter with Jesus. And you text it to the number 21999. We'll follow up with you. We'll get back with you. We'll help you understand. We'll walk you through how to pray that prayer. But I actually think this conversation has maybe been more for those of us that are Christians already. For those, my, my hope would be that every one of us would be following Jesus with all of our heart and we'd be doing that in full obedience. But I know that's not true for all of us. And I guarantee you there are Christians in this room who've been living in ways that we know don't please God. We, we moved in with that person we were dating. We've been telling the lies. We've, we've, we've done what pleased us and we've told God, hey, I don't care. And we've lived with that first shoe. God's been kind and he's been gracious and he's been patient. And we've been thinking to ourselves, you know what? I'm getting away with it. Don't despise the goodness of God. This moment right now that you're not getting what you deserve and God's not spanking you yet, you realize it was intended to give you margin. It was intended to allow you to turn your own heart and to say, no, I know I deserve. I deserve the consequences of what I've done. And God in his goodness and kindness hasn't given me what I deserve. And I just want to say to any Christian in this room right now who knows they've lived in disobedience and God's been patient with you, come home, turn your heart, tell God you know it was wrong, come home. There are some Christians in this room and you've already started getting spanked. So you've got the second shoe happening. God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm gonna have to respond. You're not listening to the conversation, so I'm gonna have to 
start spanking and you're gonna be left in the moment now that says, am I gonna resent God for spanking me? You're gonna be like that five-year-old who gets mad at dad? Or am I gonna realize that that spanking is actually the loving hand of God trying to keep me from the consequences of my decisions, trying to keep me from going even further into my own darkness? And he's calling me home and that you would repent. You wanna hear the really cool part? When you're living the way you ought to live, the spanking gets to stop. Come home. Let's pray. He dear Lord Jesus, I just pray right now for every Christian in the room. Some of us that are living in ways that we know we shouldn't be living. And we've been taking advantage of your grace and your kindness and your patience. We've been telling ourselves, you know what? I know I'm doing wrong. I know I'm living how I shouldn't, but apparently God doesn't notice. You've noticed. You've seen every dark moment and every wrong decision and you've given us grace. You've been patient with us and you've given us time to turn our own hearts back to you. And God, I'm asking for every Christian right now who's living in that moment of grace and yet living the way they shouldn't, that today would be the day they turn. They repent, they come home. God, I'm praying for Christians in the room who who would say, man, I'm I'm getting spanked, I know I am. Man, God and I have been in a wrestling match and he just keeps turning up, turning up, turning up the heat on me. And that instead of getting angry at God, we'd realize that that discipline, that spanking we're receiving is the loving hand of a God trying to rescue us before our lives get even darker, even more broken. And that God, we would fall to our knees, repent of our sin and come home. God, revelation was a love letter But the truth is we're living that love letter right now. Help us to turn and live right. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We gotta admit today was a little bit of uh, drinking from the fire hose of scripture as Pastor Lynn walked us through Revelation. The cool part about that story is ultimately it's a story of God's love for us and how he will pursue us literally to the end of the earth because he loves us. If you felt that something that Pastor Lynn shared this morning is moving in your heart that you would like someone to pray with, we're gonna have prayer partners up here. Maybe you feel like you're in that season of tough love and you need to navigate that with some of us. We would love to pray with you. You can also text the word prayer to 21999. Hey, we hope to see you here tonight for our CS Sunday night and uh, see you next week as well.